Today, we're talking to Tori Paulman, Senior Director Analyst at Gartner, about their intensive research on the modern challenges of digital employees. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. I do take a public anti-cat platform, so, but, that, <laughs> but that's strictly due to allergies. So, Are you, are you allergic <laughs> oh. to cats? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's yeah, so sad. unfortunately. There's actually so there are some cats that I'm not allergic to. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't care to find out. But like 80% of cats is like my 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 parents have three. They've had three over the course of their life and Okay. All while I was out of the house, right? And there is one that I wasn't allergic to. And I think it was like calico. I think that's oh. what it was called. But so it, it didn't wasn't bother like a hairless me. cat, right? It wasn't uh-uh, like, no, no, like a specific no. hypo hypoallergenic cat. Um, I don't know. I'm making words wow. up. Calico sounds like a cat thing, but I it was a cute cat and it was cuddly. And you and were allergic. Was, and I wasn't allergic, but the other cat that looked like the same, <laughs> I was. <laughs> so I don't know. That's so interesting. The problem with telling a research analyst that is that I now have to spend the rest of my afternoon understanding what makes calico cats different. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually, I went down this like crazy rabbit hole yesterday because I, apparently calico is a pattern and not a breed, oh, right? Okay. So like there's calico orange, calico, anyways, this is the problem. This is the problem with being someone like me is that uh, I will find one thing that I could be curious about for three days and then learn everything about it. And it's not useful. Well, you're well positioned to be an analyst. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. So... I'm a curious person, similar to you, right? Uh, Maybe you're you should interested. be an analyst. I, pff, yeah. I would likely <laughs> be an analyst if I was not um, a consultant where I get to work on multiple different types of technology or an analyst yeah. where I get to research multiple types. But here's what got yeah. me interested about the email that you sent. Yeah. Digital Employee Bill of Rights. I have never yeah. heard this and I'm like, what yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I, I do a lot of flying because I do a lot of talking at conferences. And I was thinking about the airline bill of rights. Remember when you're talking about like, you know, the 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 right to a refund or the right to whatever, right? There's there was this uh, this bill of rights for airlines. And I and of course I'm sitting in a seat thinking, well, don't don't workers deserve a bill of rights? Don't workers deserve some sort of a promise, if you will? So if I unpack it a little bit, you know, we have heard, I'm sure, of the employee value proposition. So that's the that is typically implemented by HR. And it's, you know, all of the value and benefits and payroll and and, uh, you know, uh, adjacent benefits that an organization offers uh, work life balance, et cetera. But the but when I led the digital worker survey this year, I found that there was a huge amount of friction, like huge numbers of workers who can't find the information to do their job, who don't know what the right application is, that admitted to us that they make mistakes, that they're constantly bogged down by distractions. And so, again, sitting in an airplane seat, I was like, aha, what if we had a bill of rights that the CIO was in charge of? And it was things like the right to develop digital skills, the right to have the right tool to do the job, Um, not the enterprise tool, but the right tool to do the job, Uh, the right to be free of distraction, the right to find, you know, to have access at your fingertips to the information, sort of thinking through like sort of conversational user interfaces. So it's really still at this very like Genesis kind of baby. It's my little baby and I'm trying to figure out if there's interest in it. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's the, that's the little like uh, gem of an idea right now. What do you think? I think it's interesting. It reminds me of conversations that I've had previously about um, manager readmes. I guess it was one of the things in where it was, I know it's not exactly the same or um, like comparatively, but the managers basically issuing to their teams like, hey, this is how to interact with me and this is how I operate and this is oh, how I think yeah. about things. And so it was, yeah. it, and that that kind of helps with the interaction. But as far as uniqueness, that's what I'm connecting it to right now. But I get what you're saying that, so give me an example so we can talk about like a specific right that would be in this Bill of Rights. Yeah. So in our in our survey, we found that 45 percent of um, respondents. So this I should unpack. This is a, a survey that Gartner does every 18 months. Uh, this year we went out to 5000 people worldwide and we asked, you know, ver- uh, almost 30 questions about their digital experience. 
Um, and one of them was, you know, how frequently do these types of events occur, these types of issues occur? And one of them was, how frequently do you struggle with irrelevant notifications? 45%. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually, it's so funny because uh, I've now done this presentation uh, for five of our conferences and when I when I talk about this one, I'm going to you know tell you what the finding was. But when I talk about this, I ask people, how many times has your phone buzzed in the first five minutes of this presentation? Right? How many notifications have you gotten? And it, and it's you know it's, it's mind boggling what people say to me afterwards. But 45 percent of the respondents said that they often struggle with irrelevant notifications. And mm. and so just like this humongous number, right? We also had 47% of workers who say they can't find the information to do their job and 36% saying that they're missing or failing to notice really important stuff because of the volume of information or the number of applications that they use. So not only is this an issue for, I would say, leaders, right, who, are, <laughs> who have workers who are saying they can't find what they need to find, they're constantly being interrupted, and, um, and they're missing important information and important updates. So not only is it sort of a leadership issue and a business issue, it's also like a human rights issue, right? Like the ability to um, to to be able to bring to to bear your creative and innovative, you know, capabilities. Yeah, the irrelevant notifications. Do do you? Yeah. you mentioned like three specific things: irrelevant notification, yeah. finding what they're trying to find, but none of them were a hundred percent. Right. Were there any right. cross sections of people that, that that didn't have any of those issues? And did you were you able to study them about why they don't have any of these issues? It's a great I mean, it's a good question. We didn't we could if we didn't. We didn't say, hey, of these fifty-five percent of people that didn't say that they have this irrelevant notification, what else is about them? Um, you know, we we did find that uh well, I don't even know if that's true. Um, it's a great question. I don't think I dug into the 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 negative space of it. Like, yeah. if this person didn't have irrelevant notification, you know, this issue with irrelevant notifications, did they also not have the the trouble finding information? And maybe one way to spin that is is to think about digital skills. Um, so, Gartner, my colleagues at Gartner, um, and there's sort of been a lot of. Uh, I think research around the idea that there's a, a large number of what we would call business technologists in the workplace. Uh, so, a business technologist is someone who works on, builds, develop, develops, and delivers technology, but doesn't sit in IT. So, it could be someone, you know, in the marketing team that's doing quantitative analysis. It could be someone in an investment team that's building um, macros. Those kinds of things. And um, and so, Gartner's talked about there being forty percent of the workforce being these business technologists. Um, I don't have evidence to back that up, but I wanted evidence. I wanted some evidence that I could use to, um, you know, that would come out of the survey that I could use and, and point to. And and this is what I found. I I asked workers or we asked respondents, um, what did they feel their skill level was? Were they proficient? Were they developing their skills? Were they experts or some or novices? Right. Um, and then. So that's where usually where the question stops, right? So Joel, if you say you're an expert at using technology, then I go check. You're an expert, right? But that's not real life, right? Um, your perception of your expertise doesn't necessarily result in um, in in business outcomes for me. So I wanted to go a step further. So then we looked for respondents so again, talking about your sort of cross sections, right, or the the intersections. We said, okay, well, if they're experts, then how did they answer this question? How frequently do you do things like create, um, you know, information containers to improve knowledge sharing? How frequently do you create uh, data visualization to help make, uh, you know, better decisions? How frequently do you uh, create innovation places where people can collaborate in interesting ways? And so we tested. We said, if you say you're an expert, then you probably should be doing one of these things, right? You should be engaging in these behaviors that that potentially improve, um, you know, business outcomes. And so only then did we consider this uh, respondent digitally dexterous. So rather than 40% of the workforce being business technologists, which again, I don't have evidence to prove or disprove that that's true. I found that 12% of the workforce was uh, able to be categorized as a digitally dexterous worker, meaning again, they have expertise with the technology used for work and they're using it to um to to combat some of these outcomes that we saw. D does that help? 
Yeah, I just want to, I would want like an export of like, all right, here's the three, here's three big problems that yeah. 40 plus percent of people are experiencing. And then the first question would be is, is there individuals in this data set who don't have any of these problems? Uh, and then the, the question I would ask is like, what, is there a, com- is there a lot of them? You know, it, maybe there's yeah. 40 of them, right? Maybe there's 40 of these humans. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, is what's different? Is there differences between those 40 people and then co- like compared against the set of a grouping of 40 of people that have all the problems? Uh, and I'm just, because what I'm looking for, where, where I think it would probably lead us to is something along the lines of workplace culture or personal choices. And so for me, like I, I one of the things that's interesting about me is I don't have notifications on my phone. I, minus uh-huh. my wife um, text, she can break through my do not disturb and I get her <laughs> text notifications. Um, I will turn on, on my. I've got two phones, a personal phone and a business phone. On my business yeah. phone, I do have notifications on for calendar events. So sure. if somebody's going to ask me the question of, do you get relevant notifications? The answer is nope. Nope, I only get them from my wife trying to break through do not disturb or calendar events, which are things that I have scheduled and put on my calendar uh, to run my my organization for my day. So I would, and then you might, if you were to research into me, you'd be like, oh, well, look, this person has notifications turned off. <laughs> That's right. why they don't have a relevant I think, notification problem. I would push back on that, Joel, because my guess is, I, I think you're, you're talking about things that go like bing, bong, blip, and buzz, right? Um, but you... I mean, I don't know you. We've just met, right? But you, you are, you probably uh, ingest some sort of social media. You probably engage with, um, you know, even if it's just LinkedIn, you My probably inbox. engage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, your inbox. Um, you probably engage with uh, some sort of mainstream media. You probably engage with maybe Reddit. Um, we seem like we both seem like Reddit people, and so <laughs> you know, you're you're the the uh, the notifications um, are also coming from. I think these other applications now, not in oh, our yeah. study, in our study, it was digital workplace apps. But I think that we're constantly bombarded by these uh, attention thieves, right, um, that are are trying to peel us off. And, and you know, maybe one of the, the challenges that folks like you and I face and you've got a really great boundaried way of dealing with it. You're like, no, no, none shall pass. Right. And my way is like, well, I have no idea where I'm going today. Right. And, and it's a different approach. Um, I think we've both been probably successful, but I but I, I just wanted to push back on that, that the irrelevant notifications is more than just the ones that are pushed to us. They're the, the ones that occur maybe within our, you know, our our world. No, no. Thanks for. Yeah, yeah. I would I would say that I'm there are absolutely irrelevant notifications that I get <laughs> from business applications when I go to to do it. When I go yeah. to like right. open up okay. my, like when I go to open up certain softwares and things like that, I'm like, this is pointless. This is pointless. This yeah. is pointless. That happens. That happens quite a bit. Um, I I feel uh, that if if it's made such an impact on me and my let's just call it my personal life, we'll just separate them easily. We'll just say <laughs> my personal life. If it's made such an impact on me and my business life to to treat this device, now we're just talking about like the device as a whole, like to treat this device as like, I, I own this device uh-huh. and, and I tell it when it's allowed to interrupt me. Uh, you know, yeah. the, <laughs> and so treating it like that, right. it gives me, you know, it, it's, it's allowed me to maintain more of my focus and attention <laughs> when I'm trying to, to do things. Um, and so yeah. what, just curious, to bring it back to this specific thing, you guys did the research to find out irrelevant notifications were affecting 45% of the people, which I think that number right. is pretty low. It feels yeah, low. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. What, what was, was there any solutions or was this just research to understand problem areas? Yeah, no, it's, um, so the, the research study itself is a, it's not longitudinal, right? Because we don't go back to the same people, but we do, you know, go back to the same audience every 18 months to two years. So the, the project is really to support um, you know, we have CIO uh, research studies that go out. We have HR research studies. This one is the only one that focuses on the digital workers experience. And I should say that this is very much, at least uh, in years past and the one that I ran um, in, in this year, it's very much focused on the what we call a location agnostic worker or a desk worker, right? Um, we don't, wouldn't use word knowledge worker, but a desk worker. So we're really not looking at frontline workers with this study. 
Now, I we talked a lot about irrelevant notifications, but to me, one of the bigger um, findings was all about the, well, I guess there's two really big things. One, about the number of applications um, necessary to do your work. And you said something, I, I believe you said, I believe it's more than 45%. We found there's a, been nearly 100% increase in the number of apps that people use just to do their job, right? And oh, yeah. um, so we went from six in 2019 to 11 in 2022, 2023. And we found that 36% of workers say they use up to 25 apps just to do their job. So like that was a big finding, right? And we did then triangulate to your point, you know, when we go, when we double click and we say, okay, well, if this, is, if this, then that, right? If this is true that they use more applications, well, guess what? All of those things I just said about the problems that they have go up by double digits, right? So the double digits more problems finding information, double digits more problems with irrelevant notifications. So really when you say what is the what's the recommendation, because that's what we try to be, insights and recommendations, right? The recommendation is to not only reduce your application uh, count, but actually make the applications much more, much more personalized to the person, right? And to the work that they're doing. So getting away from this idea that there's one tool to rule them all and really focusing on, well, what does this worker with their neurodivergence or their, you know, their their um, neuropathways and their ways of working and the teams they work with and the work they do, what's the little setup that they need to be um, to be successful? Now, that can be uh, a daunting task for CIOs because they're like, listen, I just buy the work hub. I buy the I buy the Microsoft or the Google work hub and I give it to everybody and I hope that they're not, you know, putting data in unsanctioned areas. So it's a really, really big ask. But that's really the recommendation is to um, kind of develop, not kind of, but to develop um, what we call how we work programs, right, that that match the work that's being done with the set of tools that's available and the practices that we use. So a little package like that. Have you heard that before? How we work? No, but I like it. It sounds like it's going to end up being a new job title type thing. Like, is there, have you seen this happening? Are there people that specifically go in and do this matching and try to make the applications more usable for the person doing their job? I have seen an organization do this. Um, they didn't call it a how we work program. We, we called it that, but it was, um, they, they created a, a, a set, uh, basically a, a site that you could go to that would say, you know, Joel and Tori are doing a podcast. Um, this is how we do podcasts here. Here's the tech, um, the tech package that you get. Click this button to download it. And if you want to use your own app, you can you can submit it here in sort of a user voice. And we've seen user voices um, from software vendors, right? You could submit it, and people could upvote it or downvote it. You can offer a you know a um, a justification, and then the IT or security team, whoever's reviewing it, does so in a really transparent manner. So uh, we were really inspired by this one client that we saw that that did this. And I've been going around the world uh, this last year, just kind of putting that seed out there. In fact, I um, I um, talked about it in one of my sessions in San Diego. And unbeknownst to me, the client that showed it to me was in the audience, right? Um, <laughs> and came up to me later and was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe Right. Um, so, of course, uh, you know, our clients, we, we protect their their um, identities. But it was a, it's been a really kind of um, eye opening experience for people. Now, in this case, the, the leader, like the person, the job description, it's it's this digital workplace leader. It's the person who, you know, and, and actually often they report up under, you know, kind of INO and are, are sort of um, evolving their career up towards the CIO. This is the person who's in charge of making sure that workers have the technology necessary to do their job. Often they're in charge of the work hub package, like Google, Microsoft, or, you know, a collection of best in breed. Now, my position on it um, is that this this skill set of a of what I would call a DEX leader, right, that the skill set of a DEX leader is far more than many IT leaders have. Um, because it's sort of a, a combination of tech savvy, which I'd categorize as, um, you know, technical skills like expertise with technology, but also understanding how technology solves business problems like, you know, this idea, right? I want to do a podcast. OK, well, here's the technology. Here's how you use it. 
and here's how we use it here. Here's the best practices for using it. Um, that's that's above, I think, many IT leaders, um, you know, either their capabilities or maybe even their ambitions right now. Uh, actually, I'll give you a better example um, or a more succinct example. I, I had a desktop engineer that worked for me once um, and I was kind of testing out all my team. Are they DEX leaders or are they are they IT leaders? And that's fine. And I said, uh, what's the definition of done? We're rolling out this new application. What's the definition of done? He said, when I get the icon on the desktop. And I said, no, that's the definition of beginning, <laughs> right? And that that's that that you know analogy right there is exactly the the pivot that we are going to need executive IT leaders and their teams to make in order to be successful. I made you uh, laugh. So why yeah. did that make you laugh? Because I'm a software engineer by trade and ah. the definition of done is like step one for a project and everyone always has, you could tell someone's engineering maturity by what their answer is to done. <laughs> what would you have said? What would you have uh, said? Business value delivered probably would yeah. be a yeah. good starting point. Yeah. 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 We could Absolutely. probably go from there. What is INO? Like, you said something I didn't understand. You said oh, INO. Sure. Yeah. Um, infrastructure and operations. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Operations. And, I always, and that's, more... that's one of the things we do on the show is anytime someone puts an acronym out there, yeah. I, I ask. And I stopped doing it for like a couple, year, like a year or something. And yeah. I got a bunch of like hate mail. Why don't you do this anymore? You Why? just let them slide. No, they, they were just upset that I don't ask because we have all these technologists that listen and they're yeah. all, they could either be like, you know, working on like a mech leg for a robotics <laughs> company or they're overworking in like finance at Robin Hood. Like, there's such, and then all the different acronyms mean so many different things across different industries that sure. when I don't ask, it's like, oh, okay. So I, I ask all the time now. It's funny that you say that because um, I was I was just in Barcelona for our symposium and um, and was meeting with public sector clients there, and uh, they wanted to know about digital workplace and they, specifically this this idea of skills. Like, how do you build digital skills? Because workers are telling um, leaders that they want to build their digital skills. Um, we see that across all of our surveys. Um, we we also saw, by the way, that workers in our survey said that that in exchange for what, what their expectations were from building digital skills, more than 90% of them said, so here's your, here's your smoking gun, right? More than 90% of them said that they believed that if they built their digital skills, they would advance their career, they would become more autonomous, and they would become more effective. So these are, you know, I mean, Joel, when was the last time 90% of people agreed literally on anything, right? Um, it's it's almost unheard <laughs> yeah. of to have this idea of, of people um, believing. Uh, we also uh, just recently had a survey, so not my survey, but another Gartner survey that asked workers, um, if you had a job available to you that was nearly identical to your job, um, what what would be a, what would be appealing to you? And it was upskilling, right? Upskilling in the next role or career path, um, you know, as as the second highest. Um, by the way, four day work week was the highest, right? So, so again, and I don't know if that would be like nearly identical, but so we were at out this um, at, at symposium and out to dinner with these public sector clients, and they wanted to know all about digital workplace and digital skills, and and so I said, okay, well, what you know, what kind of things do your workers do? And I was completely shocked because they said, well. Some of them are woodworkers and some of them are textile engineers and we have fashion designers and we have, you know, uh, steel manufacturers and we and all like in the same organization. And I, I sat there like really, to be honest, completely at a loss for how to support an organization like that in an industry like that or various industries like that with digital skills. Um, but I took it away as like, this has to be research that we do, right? Like the idea that only desk workers or only, you know, um, folks who are doing data and analytics uh, want to build their digital skills is is clearly, you know, it's a bad idea, right? We have to be focused on all workers. Does that surprise you at all? That all types of people want to in increase their digital skills? Uh, no, it doesn't because to live your everyday life as a general citizen, you're having to do that already. I mean, yeah. everything is moving towards that, uh, whether it's your bill pay or interacting with your local government to get a permit or a license or something like that. And so I, and typically people, I don't know, most people, 
that I'm around want to become better at the things that they need to live their life. <laughs> I've surrounded yeah. myself pretty successfully yeah. with those types of people. So yeah, I mean, I uh, just look at the the classes that Apple holds, right? There's a lot of people, like if you walk into the Apple store, there's yeah. like grandparents and all sorts <laughs> I just of- did that the other day. Yeah. Yeah. All sorts totally of spectrum shocked. ages and everything. And it's because they want to learn and they want to learn because these t- using these tools has value to them. And when something has value to you, you want to figure out how it works, right? Yeah. Well, actually, if you think about that, right, the, uh, the, the values, career development, um, was the lowest. It was actually 89% of workers say that they believe their career will, you know, advance if they build their digital skills. Um, but 91% said they'd be more autonomous and 95% they'd be more eff- effective, right? So again, it, 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 it tips to what you were just saying, which is that people want to feel um, autonomy. They want to feel yeah. mastery. They want to feel like they're able to handle their own business, if you will. Um, we did create a, a prediction. Um, we predicted that by 2027, so that's all the way through 2026, uh, if organizations promote digital dexterity, they'll have stronger revenue. Now, when we make a prediction, we track it. So um, you'll have to come back to me at the end of 2026 and ask me if we were right. Um, but but I think we will be, right? That if if by, uh, you know, at again, thinking about this public sector, um, you know, customer saying, I want I want to focus on how I can support the digital skills of every single one of my employees. I think that, you know, the the results will show that this kind of organization that's investing in employees um, will find themselves having better outcomes, uh, whether that's revenue or, you know, protecting citizens or whatever it is that, that they do. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that that will prove itself to be true. I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. Oh, yeah, you would you'd be a fool to take a bet against that. It's like we're living in a digital world and to say that you're the people who are most flexible, things are changing. The curve of things changing is increasing. Like it's not like things are just changing. They're like changing faster. And yeah. I had a conversation this morning with a uh ex like Facebook or Reddit or large language model guy. And uh um, I knew you were it, a Redditor, by the way. I knew that. <laughs> Uh, I'm not, <laughs> no, 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 uh, but so, so this is like your former Reddit, Facebook engineer who works on large language <laughs> models. And I was talking with him and he's like, man, we were, we were, we were working on this idea. And he said the rate at which things are changing in the large language model with the vectors and the searching and the compressions and like all this nerdy stuff that I only understood 1% of, right? Uh, <laughs> all of this stuff. He said it's changing on like six week increments. He goes, uh, things that are possible today, specifically what we are talking about is running large language models offline on local devices and whether yeah. or not that that's possible. He's like, eight months ago, no. Today, yes. And I was like, okay, so things are changing really fast. He says, he says yeah. He goes, I have to keep up with things on a weekly basis. They, there's mm-hmm. noticeable improvements and changes to the way people are doing things on like six week increments. And I was yeah. like, wow, this is moving really fast. Because, uh, you know, when I started, when or not when I started, but when I got into to business side of things in the web application space, like jQuery coming out was like one thing that happened in six months or a year that was like the biggest thing. And now big, huge things are coming out like on a regular basis. So your yeah, ability yeah. to adapt and be, you know, to, well, I don't know, is, it, is Dex, Dex, Dexterious like be able to move or is it digital employee experience or is it kind of both? Uh, yeah, it is. It's digital employee experience. So that's okay. what that's how we define Dex. And and we have two ways of talking about Dex. We have Dex tools, which are applications and technology that provide telemetry about applications, devices, n- endpoints, networks, those kinds of things. Uh, also provide uh, employee sentiment through you know nudges and and push notifications and, and microsurveys and stuff like that. So there's Dex tools, and then there's uh, Dex, which is a business practice. Um, now, what we've been talking about today is Dex as a as a strategy. But I just want to I want to mirror what you just said. So, um, in 1981, my mom was a COBOL programmer at uh, at Aetna, and you know it, she was able to write mainframe lo- language to go into uh, systems and pull out data insights. But by the time I was in my career in the 90s, you know we were using uh, graphical user interface, right, like GUI, to go in and 
kind of go into the ribbon. I was in my IT career when the ribbon got rolled out. I had to teach everybody how to how to use the ribbon, and then it continued to change. Um, but but still, like you needed to be able to know how to use functions and and data sources. Again, still digital skills. A generation of people building ribbon and function skills, and now. You know, we're seeing with generative AI and 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 maybe more like what we refer we refer to as uh, a CUI or a conversational user interface. We're seeing people be able to make natural language uh, queries, like "Hey, go get the answers." Asking my car, "Hey, take me home." Right. So natural language uh, um, uh, queries, but the skill set is not just um, you know how do you use it because that's a that's a human skill set. I could say, "Hey, Joel." How do I get to my kid's school, right? And you could go on Google and give me the answer. Um, really, what we need is to develop a, a generation of well, well, workforce, I guess, across all the generations that's able to to be more um, more descriptive about the ask, but also be able to say, "Tell me what's important." Hey, car, tell me the best way to get there. Um, or you know, hey, system. Tell me what the most important insight out of this uh, data set from my survey that is. One. That one. Do you know one. what I mean? Like, but that's, that's the one. That's the one I think is going to be huge. It's super important, and it's a totally different generation. Or it's, sorry, it's not a t- different generation. It's a totally different skill set to be able to say, um, write me. So I, I was writing something today, and um, Gartner has our own internal uh, generative AI conversational user interface, and, and so I was saying. Hey, um, take this thing that I wrote, which is the summary for our keynote for 2024, and make it more entertaining, right? And so, you know, it spits it out. It's ridiculous. It was ridiculous. But it was enough to be like, aha, I could say it this way. Or, hey, um, you know, system, right? Uh, Make it sound like a hero's journey, right? So kind Mm -hmm. of having the ability to have um, more of a, a, um, a mature conversation with the machine that's the new skill. It's not necessarily, but the other part of that around digital skills and and maybe even just skills, analytical skills, is knowing when it's wrong, um, and that that's a big risk. Um, it, you know, you can't trust the system entirely. Well, yes, a hundred percent. And so that's one of the things that when I find people who are dismissive of the technology, they'll be dismissive from the perspective of oh, I just want to be able to enter one line and it write me the best book on this thing. And it's like, well, yeah, that's right. that's. I know that's the, I guess, mental image of perfection is it to be able to read your mind and come up with the exact thing that you want. But right. the, today it's massively powerful because I don't know if you're a superhuman, but I am not. And so I have a limit to how much creativity I have per day. And so yeah, right. when I'm trying to do creative things and I'm burnt that day, before I would just stop. Now I can be like, all right, I can query the, the you know, interface in a way that can give me list of things that I can sit back and like pick out or I can try yes. different things and I could say hey here's the situation what's like three interesting ways that this could be resolved and then I'll be like I want 30 now and then I can take like the top 10 and say okay I really enjoyed these but make them sound a little funnier or make them sound a little bit more like this and to your yeah. point exactly I think you said like make it sound like a hero's journey right tell me a story yeah uh, put it in story format. So it's really understanding. And I think that is where the creative people are going to excel with the tools. Um, right. And and where people who aren't creative but have that self-sufficiency drive and desire are going to excel even farther. Because I know brilliant people who admittedly are not creative, but now you put these tools in their hands and now they can harness creativity. And that's fantastic. Just like how we've been harnessing yeah. logicalness Logicalness is the new word. Logicalness with calculators. Please define logicalness for your studio audience. Yeah. I'd like to hear that. It's ability to use calculators. There we go. <laughs> I think that's so interesting. Okay, so what we want to pack here is that my my mom needed um I don't we needed we need like a flashy word for it. So like she was querying uh large mainframes and she was essentially um kind of like knitting almost right she was sewing the data together because it had no it had no relation to its to each other right so she's bringing it all together she'd be totally thrilled by that analogy too because she's like super into quilting so she's like sewing this data together and then and then our generation or my generation um you know is is all about logicalness right um you know and and calculating and taking the numbers and just being like well that's the number 
And this next generation is having a conversation with the data, right? Yeah. Having a conversation. So that's exactly what I did. I, I had written the summary for our keynote um, and I just pumped it in. And I was like, make it sound funny. Make it sound heroic. Uh, you know, match it to the hero's journey model. Um, make it sound entertaining. Make it sound scary, right? I just wanted, I needed to have a relationship. Like I needed to have an ideation session with someone and um, and I didn't want to have it with a human, uh, you know, and, and the outcome was really good. So I did want to share one other thing with you about, um, you know, one of the findings that we found, because I, I think it hits into this idea of this, this worker that exists today who deserves to be able to do what I did or what you just described. So we asked people, um, you know, how satisfied they were with applications. And we found that 88% of our respondents said, yeah, yeah, we're told, you know, we're happy. We're, we're satisfied with the applications. Now, there's one little caveat, which is that satisfaction's gone down 4% since the last time we did the survey in 2020, but 4% isn't 20%, so I wasn't hugely concerned. But then as I started going through the data, I also found that almost half of workers say um, that they're using personal applications, either to collaborate or to analyze data. And then as I continued to go down the rabbit hole, I found that more than half of workers are building uh, um, their own personal tools, either to collaborate or analyze data. So we've got these folks out there who are saying, yeah, 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 the thing you gave me for like spreadsheets, that's fine. But my thing that I'm using to actually do my job in a way that sets me apart, don't you dare take that away from me, right? Um, the last piece of that is we asked folks if they if their IT department took the tool away, what would be the outcome? And nearly 30% or more said that they would have severe impact um, across all the things that they do, analyze data, um, collaborating with each other, collaborating with customers. So there's this sort of brewing uh, risk uh, out there. And I know like in IT, we call that shadow IT, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we've got to bring it out of the shadows because it, I don't, it's not empirical evidence that this is what's driving, you know, successful, uh, you know, digitally skilled employees. Um, but I think you could argue that those folks who are using these kinds of applications, perhaps they're using unsanctioned generative AI applications to do exactly what you and I just talked about. Um, if those are in the shadows, first of all, it's a risk to you. And second of all, you know, people will run the risk of having these things taken away. And then you'll run the risk of not getting the outcomes that you're getting, wanting to get. Do you hear that from other folks around this idea of like shifting the conversation from shadow IT to? Um, I am the type of person that just, I just focus on the outcome and achieve it at all cost, And that's why I own <laughs> my own business. And that's why, sure. so I'm, I'm probably not a good employee. Um, and I, I mean, I'm definitely not a good. You employee. have like founder. You have like that founder yeah. archetype. Yeah, yeah, not a yeah. good employee. That's no, fair. I've never been. I've actually always had to make my own job because I inevitably I'll walk into a situation and be like this makes no sense, and then there's all yeah. these guardrails for whoever's reason and people. You have to work around people and legacy. It's just ugh. I'm like oh, I just want to achieve things. I'm just <laughs> going to go achieve things, and I figured that out. So I, I, and, and our company's small. We're under 20 people, so we're at the okay. point in a, in a maturity curve where that's still like the spirit amongst all employees. It's like this is a sure. requirement. You have to just be able to bust through things and figure things out. Obviously that goes away as you scale up more. But when you say, you know, but I do get to have the conversation of shadow IT constantly. And what yeah. I, what I've, and I do go around and I've gotten to speak to audiences and answered questions about shadow IT and things like that. It's a direct connection to the culture of the company. Yeah. Some companies handle it much, much better than others. Some are like, Hey, when you have personal tools that are making you more effective, brilliant, congratulations, thank you. Come talk with us so we can secure correct licensing or we can secure like enterprise, whatever, sure. or so that sure. we can do an evaluation on it. And I've even gone as far as, and to keep, you know, I'll keep the names private. If they'll see it happening and there's there's something, they'll figure out a way to let it happen in a sandbox somewhere else that's going to yeah, protect right. the company data, but it's also yep. not sanctioned, but it's also just kind of like it needs to happen in that area. Yep. Um, so it really is the companies. I'd say the worst possible thing you could do is just be super rigid and shut the door on the entire thing. Now, granted, I'm not in charge of running a 100,000 person IT department. Sure, sure. I don't know what type of issues come up with that, but I do know yeah. humans and I know people with mindset and I know people that have the mindset of we're all trying to get to this outcome together. Let's figure yeah, it out. Right. Tend to be more successful long-term 
and my personal uh, unresearched opinion. <laughs> I love how you said that, though, because there's there's obviously a spectrum of trust between workers and leaders, right? Workers and, and organization leaders. You know, and at the lowest levels of trust, we see things like we want to know who's working and who's not, right? Productivity monitoring, uh, badge reporting. We want to know who's coming in and who's not. Or we got to mandate people to come in because we got to see them working or we don't think they're working. Um, and then in sort of the mi middle range, which I would say, I would hope, uh, I think in my experience, most folks are in this middle, like, sweet spot um, where, where they're looking at, like, well, we want to know if the tools we give you and the place we give you is making you feel productive and satisfied and happy. And we have really no way to measure that, but that's what we want, right? Most most of the people I talk to are in that, like, sort of, it's almost like purgatory because there's not really a great way to measure it. Um, it's just kind of like, do we kind of think that you're happy? Okay. Um, and then at the highest level of trust, you know, we have organizations that want to establish and measure outcomes. And you can measure, scientifically measure an outcome, but you got to be able to be able to define an outcome first, right? And that's a big barrier for, for folks to, um, to understand the difference between output and outcome. So an example for maybe your listeners, right? If you were migrating from, uh, you know, from on-prem storage to SharePoint this year, an output would be the number of terabytes you you migrated, or the number of documents you migrated, or the the you know number of documents that are are left, right? Um, but an out so that would be an output. But an outcome would be um, improved customer claims processing, first call resolution, um, you know, better RFP uh, performance or wins, right? Better wins with RFPs. So that sort of um, outcome. It, it requires an understanding of business processes. And I think that's maybe where we bet we double click on who this DEX leader is. So if we're going to have a digital uh, employee value proposition or a digital bill of rights, as I'm sort of uh, dreaming up, we've got to have some, we've got to have established DEX leadership qualities, either as a DEX leader. So you talked about like, Who's this person that's doing the how we work program, right? So it could be a person or it could be established leadership qualities that we start putting into every leader performance evaluation, right? So we talked about tech savvy, but the other things that are important are um, connections, right? Broad connections in the business and also within an IT realm. Uh, so not just staying in your little siloed uh, sandbox, uh, the ability to lead people who don't report to you. Uh, so matrix leadership or braided leadership, that's going to be really important um, to uh, to DEX leadership. Um, understanding, right? Understanding business processes. And what are we even trying to do? Are we trying to win more accounts? Okay, well, let's, let's think about what technologies go into that. Uh, being able to tell a story, like getting up on stage or even, you know, in um, some of the more successful clients I talk to say they have they have their own little TED Talks where people come and hear about technology and hear about, you know, their their own teams. Um, and then finally, like, you got to have empathy. And <laughs> I think I wonder what you think. Um, I'm not sure that empathy is one of the things that IT folks have, like, established over the years, right, where IT has been like, let's let's really empathize with the business um, users and let's really understand what makes them Tick the smart, and what the makes smart them, ones do. The smart yeah, ones the do. smart ones do because yeah. they're probably dex leaders, right? They they have yeah. these sort of qualities, um, but it's not been something I've found a ton of in my you know in my IT career prior it's to a, it's on the maturity curve. It's just earlier on the curve because what happens if the people that get farther they understand like I have to go understand what is like what is going on at the top of the company i have to understand what's happening in yeah. sales if let's say i'm right. a product narrow the conversation to a product company all right so just yeah okay if I, if we build a specific product we build slack or something like i need to under i need to go sit with a salesperson you know every every once in a while i need to jump in on a customer call like i need to listen i need to talk to the support team and see what the largest support tickets are and they might say well that's outside of your purview or you don't work on that part of the application it's like yeah but if i'm going to be working here I need to understand what's going on within the organization as a whole, and yeah. I need to understand what did, what did the CEO and the C and the CXOs what did they say is the most important thing? Because yeah, there's yeah. fires burning. One of the most frustrating things is to me is when someone comes in and everything's messy and they think, oh, I'm not going to do the job I was hired to do. I'm just going to start cleaning everything up. It's like no, uh, no, 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 <laughs> you no. You need no. to focus on the outcome that you were hired to achieve. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I see the more successful people, they 
understand that they need to understand what's going on at the business yeah. Yeah. and yeah. what the goals are and what the direction is, and then figure out a way, I call it like business hops. How far away is the work that you're doing to value that the business Ooh, is trying to that's achieve? That's cool. Yeah. Because if you're really hopped far away, like, because you could take a backup system. Like, let's say you're building a more efficient backup system. Well, that could sound like just a good thing to do because you're making it 238% more efficient. Mm-hmm. And it could sound like a completely useless thing to do. But if you know that, like, and you've communicated and you talk, but if you know that, like, the large, your, your top 10% of clients are having trouble with backup speeds and they're considering other vendors, all of a sudden now it has this context to it where, like, it's really important work what you're doing. I love I love what you're saying. So one of the you're you're describing CX, right? You're describing mm-hmm. customer experience, and a customer experience is a well well understood, uh, well worn path. And and Gartner has a a ton of um, really excellent research on it. But EX is so the the EX part of DEX, right? Um, is I would say about three to five years behind, right? So we're we're publishing things about journey maps and publishing things about personas and publishing things about um, diagnostics. How do you do, you know, work forward method in diagnostics? And clients, when they look at it, they're like, yeah, I want to do that. But they've never connected that the same exact practices that they could use uh, for their customers or even citizens, it doesn't have to be necessarily um, a product. It's exactly the same. You know, we could literally, when we first started, um, you know, uh, writing this research, we would open a, a customer experience doc and find and replace the word customer with employee. And they go, what else do we have to change here, right? It was it was really, really, really um, easy to see how easily you could take that mindset that you're describing and apply it. Now, I want to share one little anecdote that I think you might be uh, find interesting. I met um, I met the CIO of an airline company many years ago before I joined Gartner, and he was telling me all about joining the airline. And literally two weeks after he joined as the CIO, they went bankrupt. And he was like, what has happened? So talk about joining a, joining a company and seeing a bunch of million, you know, little fires and saying, uh, what am I going to do? I got to I got to like fight all of these fires all at once. Uh, but he didn't. He went to the CEO and he said, what is the one thing that will get us out of bankruptcy? And the CEO says, ah, well, our all of our data says that if we just improve on time performance, we'll get out of bankruptcy in no time flat. Right. And so that CIO went back to the department and said, every single project we do, you need to prove to me that, uh, I mean, anything I spend money on, anything I choose not to spend money on, you need to show me how it relates to on-time performance. Um, and, and it did, right? So this, this particular airline made all kinds of investments in technologies, including employee-assistive technologies, customer you know, technologies, all to improve on-time departure. And they are now the leader of on-time departure, right? So this was many, many years ago, but it's easy to see that if you were to just have that conversation with whoever is one level above you, what's the one thing? If you could just do one thing this year, what would that be? And then you start taking apart. Well, what are the applications we need? What are the things we got to get rid of? What are the practices and leadership qualities we need? What are the the skills that our workers need to have? You know, where where are the barriers? Like, are 80% of people unable to find the, the document that tells them how to do something, like those kinds of things. Um, I think it's easier if you're if you're willing to be brave enough to ask a question. I think it would have been very easy for that CIO to go, I can't see any way in which my work lends itself to on-time departure. Um, but he didn't. And it was a, a, a really big turning point for me when he told me that story many moons yeah. ago. 100%. Or he could have looked at one of the larger fires that, oh, that's database related and I know database efficiency. So I'm going to dump yeah, everything right. I have into that fire to put that out to get away. Because then I'll look good. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. No, you're brilliant. Tori, I want to be respectful of your time because I did have in the notes that you have a hard stop. Do you? Do yeah, you wanna... I have another meeting um, right yeah. now. But if there's what, like one more question or, you know, if there's no. a, I don't know if you got what you needed. Um, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, one thing I'm going to do for usual is I'm going to go into the data. I do have a, a BI dashboard that I can go in. So I'm going to go into the data and find what, you know, maybe one or two things about these people who have no problems. And I'll come back to you. on Yeah. That. What um, is maybe that? I'll, maybe I'll have it back to you in time for your for your uh, episode. But it's a great prompt. You know, I, I hadn't yeah. thought about the negative space. Um, I think that's really interesting. It, it's, it's so hard because when I was doing the analysis, there were 300 findings. 
And um, and I actually didn't share maybe the most important finding. It was our keystone finding. Um, I got distracted by all the other things. Uh, we asked workers uh, which co- which top three company executives had the most positive influence on their overall employee experience, so their entire employee experience. And we definitely, our hypothesis was that the CHRO would be in the top three. Um, and we were completely shocked to find that the CIO was number three and the CHRO was number five. So here we are finding that the CEO, the COO, the CIO, CHRO, and number five. So so that's been like the biggest finding for me. And it's the it's the reason why I feel like coming on talk or coming on podcasts like this and going to symposium and standing up in front of CIOs and saying, workers believe that you have the you know more positive influence on their overall employee experience than the CHRO, but they're waiting for you to believe it too, right? Like CIOs, CTOs, executive IT leaders, I don't think they know how much impact they have on the the whole experience of workers today. And if they did know, I think they would be making um, you know more investments in their in their own um, in their own persona on it. Even right, uh, they have a huge opportunity to be the next. Um, I think the the next uh, employee experience leader. So that was the number one finding, and I wanted to make sure that you uh, that you got that in front of you as well. Awesome! Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, I thought it was a very valuable. I oh, I'm supposed to I'm supposed to uh, say something about our conferences, so maybe I could say okay. that and then yeah. to you. When's um, your conferences? So some of the stuff that we talked about today is is really the foundation of the Digital Workplace Summit for 2024, which we're having um, in Texas in March, I think, and in London in June. Uh, but we're also bringing this content around Dex tools. So we talked about Dex tools. We're bringing that to IOCS in London next week, uh, which is why my shirts are wrinkled, and um, <laughs> and in Las Vegas in December. So we've got a lot of really exciting content coming out um, that has to do with the survey and has to do with how CTOs, CIOs, and executive IT leaders can be like leaning in to this employee experience um, remit that they have. Well, I'm sure we can get Josh to put some links to the upcoming cool. conferences yeah, I'll send it to you. and the show awesome. notes. That way people awesome. can go search for those and, and get their Thanks, tickets guys. to the Gartner event. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.